Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you that during this Lenten season that you would lead us to the cross. Help us to forget ourselves for a time, but bring ourselves fully into your presence to experience you as we take a time to fast, as we take time to enter into devotion with you and listen to your word in stillness and quietness and reflection and interaction with one another. And as we take time to pray for the sake of others, during this season, Lord, bless us as we come to meet with you, with your presence, with your purpose, with your power. Breathe your spirit upon us in this time. In Christ's name, amen. amen. I'm glad that you're all here this morning. And uh, I wanted to thank Every Voice for singing. Uh, that's what we call our choir, is Every Voice. And uh, if you'd like to participate in that, you can just write that on your card. Someone will get back to you. But they reminded us, really, of what this whole Lenten season is about, being led to the cross by Jesus Christ. And uh, what we're doing is we're uh, focusing on three different areas, three different ways that as a whole church family, we can walk toward the cross of Jesus Christ in this journey. The first one is fasting for focus. We talked about that in detail last week. If you missed last week for some reason, please listen to the podcast. You can do that on the app or on the website, or if you don't have access to that kind of thing, you can just go into the Resource Center today and pick up a CD, pop that in and listen to that. And it really helps you understand what fasting is all about, saying no to yourself, actually forgetting about yourself for a time and remembering Christ and entering into his presence, okay? The second practice is the daily rhythm that Rick talked to you about, one of the three of those devotionals. You can pick one of those up today, or you can get the information off the back and order it from Amazon and become one, a part of one of those groupings. And this morning, the third practice is praying for the sake of others. And we're going to talk about this in a few moments. I'm actually going to give you some direction about this. You can see our two prayer walls that are up here. And you can see we got a start on them. There's a couple of different names up there and prayer requests on them. And later on, we're going to give you the opportunity to add to that, to come to the prayer wall, put a name or a prayer request there for someone who uh, you want to pray for during this Lenten season, to pray for the sake of others. And so in this, t- in this journey with Jesus, we're looking at a bunch of different snapshots of him as he journeys to the cross. And the one that we're going to look at today is his baptism. His baptism. I'm going to take a look at that. And I have to wonder, when I look at Jesus Christ and I look at his sinless life and I look at the meaning of baptism, why did Jesus choose to be baptized as kind of his initiation in the ministry? He goes from about 30 years of formation, 30 years of growing up as a man, and he goes into three years of ministry, and the transition between the two is a baptism. Now, I have to wonder about that because baptism for most of us means that we're coming out of a sinful life, we're confessing our sin to God, he's redeeming us and forgiving us, and baptism is this outward sign of an inward cleansing and renewal. So why does Christ need to be baptized, and why would he pick baptism as a way of making a transition out of the shadows and into the limelight of three years of public ministry before he would go to the cross. Why did he pick that? It says that he did it with a resolute spirit. We see him coming before God, before his cousin John. It says, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. He said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. But Jesus said, so, and John said, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done so that we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed 
to baptize him. Why was Jesus so iron-willed and resolute about being baptized? And what can we learn about leading a devoted life like Christ during the Lenten season? What can we learn about devotion and being devoted to God's will and God's way from Jesus by looking at his baptism? Well, you know, I looked up some of the common definitions for devotion, and one of them is profound dedication or the word consecration, to give yourself fully to something. Another definition was an earnest attachment to a cause or a person. A third one was an assignment to a purpose or a cause. And you can see this in Jesus. He senses this. I've been assigned. I'm on assignment. I'm going to John. I'm telling him, baptize me. I'm on my way to the cross. I'm on my way to the empty tomb. Another definition is this, an ardent, often selfless affection or dedication to a person or a principle. So this idea of devotion is to give yourself fully to something. Now, we could actually have this morning, you know, I I had to tell you this, we couldn't cancel both services this morning when we're speaking on the theme of a devoted life. You know, you just can't do it. You've got to at least do one of them. And this morning, though, we could have a competition about who's more devoted, right? Uh, like this morning, I wake up, it's about 5.30, quarter till 6, and I hear my neighbor, who's in his upper 60s, already out there with his snowblower. And I'm glad he's devoted because he did my sidewalk too. God bless his soul. But I had been out there with my hand shovel the night before, doing the driveway course. So who's more devoted? Joe or Joel? We could say who's more devoted this morning. Uh, Every voice came in. They warmed up. They got the songs going. We could say they were really devoted. They're the most devoted today to leading us in worship. We could say it's the worship team or the technical team or or the guys who came in last night with with their trucks and their plows and plowed the snow away and put the salt down so we could get in here. We could say it's the people this morning who aren't in this room worshiping with us because they're in the room with the little people this morning. And they're dedicated to the children's ministry and helping them, so they're not getting an opportunity to worship with them. We could this morning kind of have a competition about who's more devoted, right? Or we can spend our time looking at the most devoted one and learning from him, Christ, and his devotion to the Father. I think this is what his baptism is all about. His baptism is all about showing his devotion, manifesting his devotion from the Father. And I think we can learn something about that as we journey through this Lenten season and up to Easter, where both of our campuses this Easter will celebrate Easter, will invite and include, will pray for, will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and reach out into our community with the good news of Jesus Christ and celebrate it. And as we do that, and as we walk toward that, it's important that we let Christ ignite a fire of devotion within us again. And so this morning, I want to talk to you just about two different things that I see about a devoted life or a surrendered life from this picture, from this portrait of Jesus Christ being baptized. And the first one is this, a devoted life surrenders to God's purpose. A devoted life surrenders itself to God's purpose. We notice that Jesus says, this needs to be done to carry out all that God requires. And so then John agreed to baptize him. 
I want you to watch with me some rare footage that we have from ancient Palestine and Jesus' baptism right now. <laughs> Do you guys have the rare footage? Thank you. Good. doing is right. Baptize me. But I'm glad that we did. It does kind of give you the feeling of how resolute Christ was. We kind of lose that sometimes when we read the passage, like he just passively was walking by and everyone else is getting baptized, so he just walked in the water. No, the words of Scripture, the very words that are used there, was that he was resolute and he was coming to John and he would not be denied. He would follow through in his devotion to the Father. He would step over the threshold from being in the shadows to being in the limelight to being persecuted, to being the man of sorrows for three years all the way to the cross, and he would not be denied his followership of what the Father had, the greater, grander purpose that the Father had for his life. And when we follow Christ in that way, We're saying to God, there is a grander purpose for my life. I am not Christ, and I am not God, and I will never be a God, but there is a greater purpose for me, and I want to peel into it, and I want to find it. Maybe this Lenten season is a time for you to rediscover or discover your God-given purpose. Maybe God doesn't want you just going to work. He wants you to be at work and be his emissary at work and be at work for him at work. Maybe God gave you your vocation for a very good reason and your vocation is God-given. It's part of the kingdom and he has you on assignment there. And he wants you to be devoted and find the purpose So that you're not just rolling out of bed every morning and just doing it again, but you're walking with him 
in the activity and action of your day and your occupation and what he has called you to, a greater life, a grander life. Maybe in the morning when you roll out of bed and you go to take care of those children again and make one more meal and clean up one more mess and do one more thing, you realize you have a calling on your life as a mother or a father. And you have an assignment. And there's a greater purpose than just getting the day done. But it's meeting God in the day and letting him in and letting him wash through you. God has a grander purpose for your life. And perhaps the Lenten season is a time to open your hands back up to God and say, God, show me your greater purpose as I surrender to you. You know, in those days, um, it, it's, it's interesting to me that Jesus picks this baptism thing, and I, I know I'm kind of stuck on that. But as I look back, you know, adult Jews were not baptized in those days. They weren't. They were dedicated as children the people that were baptized in Jewish tradition in those days were Gentiles. Gentiles who had converted and come over, and it was a public ceremony. And in some way, it was kind of saying, okay, they're in the family, but, you know, they just kind of made it into the family late. And after a while, they are Gentiles. You know, the word Gentile is not a nice term for us. It means the nations. It means those other people. It means not the chosen people, but those other ones. So when it's used by someone who is Jewish, and I used to work for a Jewish couple up in Nanuet, New York. When I was in seminary, I used to clean their home and take care of I, I was their butler, so to speak. And they would have me even come in on Sabbath and work because I was part of the goyim. I was part of the nations. So it didn't really matter. But as I got to know them and they got to know me, they got to see that I was a person. And so after a while, they'd invite me to sit down and eat with them or spend time with them. And I'd always be like, nope, I got to get this room painted for you. I got to get this done at your apartments. They own some other properties. And, but after a while, they started to see that I was a person like them in God's sight. And there was some blessing in that, in that giving and receiving of that. But so often in the days of old, in ancient, in ancient times in Palestine... It was not a great thing to be brought into the family of God late. And so adult Jews were not baptized. That was reserved for the Gentiles, who if they were wise enough and God was good enough to them, would come to faith. And then there's John. He seems to be practicing this other baptism. So Jesus doesn't fit into this whole thing. He's not an adult, non-believing Jewish person who's coming into Jewish faith. So he doesn't fit that baptism. Uh, and then there's John's baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. For 400 years, there had been no prophetic voice in Israel. None. 400 years of prophetic silence. No one calling out. And then John is assigned by God as a voice coming out of the desert, wild-eyed, eating locust and wild honey, dressing different, looking different. He is the prophetic voice after 400 years crying out, make a straight path for the Lord. A straight path, not only physically, but metaphorically into your soul and your life and your heart. And so he's crying out and he's baptizing people. People are coming out and most of them are the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They're the people who wouldn't fit in with the religious right. And so they were coming out in droves to hear the prophetic voice 
of God calling them out. And they were getting baptized. But they were baptizing to repent and to come back into a devoted relationship with God and their faith family. And so Jesus didn't fit that baptism either. He was sinless. He was a servant son of God. He didn't have to be baptized in that way. He had no sin to be confessed. And so what does Jesus' baptism mean? Well, maybe it has something to do with Christian baptism. You know, we talk about Christian baptism. Yesterday, we taught a workshop on membership here. And one of the things we teach in the workshop is about the two different sacraments or professions of faith that the Bible gives us once we come to faith, the Lord's Supper and baptism. There's many other ways to confess a changed life, but there are two that are very biblical, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so we explain that baptism for a Christian means that it's this outward sign of this inward transformation that's taken place in your life, but it's an illustration. It's an illustration for yourself. It's a word picture for yourself to see your own faith coming alive and your dedication to the Lord. It's a word picture for other believers because they see somebody else believing, somebody else has come to faith, somebody else is devoted, and it, it, it charges up their faith and fuels the fire of their faith. And it's also for people who don't believe, who see and hear, and it calls them and intrigues them into a relationship with God also. And so at Easter, on Easter Sunday and the 5th, we will baptize people at both campuses. And when we baptize people, I mean, something happens because it's a confession of faith before people. And God moves and he uses that. But Jesus didn't need that kind of baptism, did he? He wasn't coming to faith. He hadn't been lost and now was found. So what does Jesus' baptism mean? I don't know. Let's move on to point two. Now I'm just joking. <laughs> I think Jesus' baptism was this. It was an activity and action of great devotion to God. On the threshold of his life and his public ministry, he was saying, I'm full in. Now think about this. Think about this about baptism. I was meditating on this this week and studying this passage and writing some notes on it. And I, and I just, this occurred to me. Baptism, if you think about this for a minute, baptism is a great picture of full surrender to God. Because in baptism, when you get baptized, in those moments, somebody else decides when you go under the water. Somebody else decides how long you're going to stay under the water. And somebody else decides when you're going to emerge from the water. Right? Right? For those couple moments, you are completely surrendered to the hands of another person. And it's a symbol of being completely surrendered to God. That perhaps in this passage of life, in this Lenten season of life, there's things that you did not choose to go under with, right? Maybe you didn't choose your boss who you have a hard time seeing life the same way they do. And you wonder, how long do I have to stay under the waters with this? And when will I get to emerge? Maybe it's a physical sickness that you have that you didn't choose and you feel submerged in it and you feel pushed down by it and you don't get to decide when it's going to be over or if it's going to be over. Perhaps it's another trial in life. 
Something that you're going through that you don't get to decide, you don't know how long it will take, and you don't know when your head will come back up. But God is saying to you, you have two choices. You can fight this time or you can surrender to me because I'm here. I'm here for you. And if you will fall into my arms and learn my way, I will lead you through this time. And I'm in the water here with you. And I'm baptizing you in some sense through this experience to be a follower of mine and someone who surrenders to me. You know, this week I was looking at the painting and we put the painting uh, this week out in the lobby for you. Uh, Mary Lou is doing these paintings for us. Can you guys pull up this picture of Mary Lou? Uh, You can see Mary Lou. I I love meeting with her on Wednesday mornings because she brings the painting in and she's usually laughing like this. She has laughter in her soul and in her heart. And she brings in these paintings and she's wondering if, you know, I, I think God's speaking to me through this time and I think that God will bless other people through this painting. And then she pulls them out of her portfolio bag like a little girl and she places them on the sofa in my office and we just sit there for a few minutes and we take in some goodness from God. I wish you could all meet her. I wish that you could all spend those Wednesday mornings with me and Mary Lou, but that's why we have the paintings for you, and then we're going to put them all together during Good Friday communion so you'll be able to take some time to sit with each one, to look at each one, to take in. They're a gift. I like this one because uh, this one, and I know it's hard to see in the screens. If you'd like to give an extra donation, we'll replace these projectors for you. More than willing to do that. Um, But in this one, I really liked it because Christ is coming up out of the water and he has his hands up in surrender. And she never painted people before. She always painted still lifes or other things. And I said, well, you know, you're going to have to paint some people in these ones, you know, this series. And she has uh, the cross up to the left and the dove. And then there's just kind of a, a trinkling down of an anointing to Christ. And she says, that's the words of the Father blessing him. And uh, as I looked at that, and as I got to sit there with it in my office all week long, I got to just think about the power of surrender, about the power in my life of surrendering to God, of saying to God, there's some things in my life that I didn't get to choose. There's some things in my life and situations in my life that I feel stuck in. There's some things in my life that I want to emerge from now. I don't want to bear them any longer. And Christ says it is for your goodness and it is for your baptism and it is for the goodness of your soul that you stay in this, but stay in it with me. You're not alone. I'm here with you, Joel. I'm walking you through this. I'm speaking to you. I'm talking with you. Slow down. Take this Lenten journey as a time to hear my voice, spend time with me, hear my voice through others in the body of Christ. And take that time to pray then for your own soul and for the sake of others. It's the power of surrender in our lives. I have to ask you, I have to ask myself this question. I had to write it in my journal this week. What's capturing your devotion lately? What's capturing my devotion these days? What do I find myself 
surrendering to? Is it my own leadership, my own will? Is it escape measures or patterns? Or am I devoted to Christ and to his voice? And do I find myself during this Lenten season letting my fingers off of some things and letting him have his own way in my life? So a devoted life not only surrenders to God's purpose, but a devoted life thrives under God's blessing. We see this from the baptism of Christ. It says, after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Underline that phrase. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I want us to say that blessing out loud. Let's start with it. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. That was a blessing from heaven. A blessing from the father to the son. A blessing during a time of surrender. A blessing before Jesus had done any of the three years of the work of the kingdom But the work of the kingdom was being done in him, and then it would be done through him. And so Jesus receives this blessing. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a home where words of affirmation were few and far between. It just wasn't something we did. We didn't sit around the fire in the evening and talk about how much I love you and what you mean to me and thank you today for doing this or that. They weren't words of affirmation. As a matter of fact, words of affirmation usually came after you worked really hard to finally get something right. And then maybe someone would say, thank you. I'm glad you finally got that right and did that right. I mean, I come from Germanic and Scottish roots. Neither one of them are great with affirmation. Neither one of them build these fires of affirmation. So I really didn't grow up with that. And so sitting down and reading this passage of Scripture, given my background, I've always felt this affirmation outburst from heaven to be something intriguing to me. Why was this out? It seems like there's this outburst from heaven. We're not sure who all could hear it. We know that the son heard it. We don't know. It says that he saw the spirit like a dove descending. It says that he heard. You know, we're not sure who else heard that. But the father said it, and the son heard it, and the spirit witnessed it. This is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. And consider this. It happened before he called any of the disciples, before he embraced the children, before he fed the 5,000, before he healed the lepers, before he taught the sermon on the mount, before he raised Lazarus from the tomb, before he washed the disciples' feet, before he took the beating, before he walked the Via Della Rosa and was nailed to the cross, before he rose again, the Father said, I'm well pleased with you. And I submit to you that he could thrive in all those other doings of the Messiah because he was blessed by the Father. He could thrive under the blessing of God. This is my son who I love, who I'm well pleased with. Jesus was able to thrive and accomplish his best work because the Father was blessing him and meeting with him and infusing into him and walking. When we see him again and again and again, stealing away into the presence of the Father. When the crowds become large, he steals away. 
Matter of fact, there's one passage in Scripture that says he tries to get away, but he could not be hidden. He couldn't be hidden. But he kept peeling away to the Father to get his blessing, to get his infusion. And maybe that's what the Lenten season needs to be for you, a time for you to steal away with the Father, a time for you to receive a a blessing from him. You know, when you get a blessing from somebody, there's a number of things you can do with it, I found. You can deflect a blessing. Somebody says something good about you or tries to bless you or thank you just for being there or thank you for your person. You can deflect it, just not even letting it sink in at all. It just kind of flies by. It does a flyby. You never picked up on it. And you kind of go, what? Somebody say something to me? You know, it's another thing you can do with a blessing. You can minimize it. I'm pretty good at this. Focusing on how unworthy you are of the blessing. Joel, thank you for cleaning up my driveway. It's kind of well, you know, it's not the big deal. I'm just me and my little shovel here. Whatever. Lots of other people do more things. They're feeding the homeless today. I'm not feeding the homeless today. Shovel the driveway. It's not much. You get the idea. You deflect it. You don't take it in. I had a professor in seminary tell me one time, he said, Joel, lots of people tell you after preaching at a chapel service that they liked what you did, but you don't receive it. My suggestion is that you just say thank you. Wow. Thank you. So when someone blesses you this week or in some way, just say thank you. Let it in. You can soak it in. Receiving it as a gift of unconditional love and support. You can deflect it, you can minimize it, or you can let it soak in. Jesus seemed to be pretty good at doing that. He was letting the blessing soak in. This unconditional love of the Father became a platform for him to rest his soul on in the times where he had to get the work of the kingdom done. I notice there's two parts of the blessing here. There's this, uh, you're my dearly beloved son, and you bring me great joy. A true blessing brings identity, and it also affirms the person, and it affirms the work of that person. We have a thing in our, um, our uh, agreement with one another as staff. We have a, like a staff covenant, and one of the things is that we won't just bless someone's work, we'll bless them. We'll thank them for their work, but we'll affirm their person also. You can do that by saying, I enjoy working with you. I realized that this weekend, Pastor John had to be away because his uncle uh, passed away this past week and he needed to be there for the funeral service so he wasn't able to work with me like he normally does in the membership workshop. And so I just sent him a quick text and said, I'll miss you, I enjoy working with you. I like working with you. Go bless your family, I like working with you. We need to learn how to let the blessing of God come in us and through us to other people. That's not something that I grew up with my family, but it's something I'm learning in God's family that God values it and he wants it and he brings it. And so it's something that I must learn how to receive and something I must learn how to give because God's family comes first now. God's family's first. And I have to learn his ways and walk in his ways. During this Lenten season, we have to learn how to receive a blessing from God so we can thrive in that blessing from God and give it away to others. Just this past week, uh, 
we were studying with our elders and our staff this book called Soul Keeping. And one of the uh, parts of soul keeping are these different practices that you do at the end. First you deal with you have a soul and what do you do with your soul? How do you bring your soul before God? It's always existing before God. How do you attend to to issues of the soul? And then the second part is these practices. And one of the practices is the practice of gratitude. It's giving a blessing to God and to others. And so we were given this assignment to take this blessing. It's called the priestly blessing from Numbers 6, 24 and 25. You have it in your outline. It's very simple, straightforward. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. But we had the assignment to go give that blessing in different ways to different people during the week and then come back and say, How did that feel? What happened? How did people respond? And the interesting thing was many people received it and they took it in. Uh, Many people we never heard back from. They would text it or write it or mail it or send it and they just didn't hear back from them. Maybe they got this blessing and said, that's weird. I don't know what to do with that. It's strange. Put that away. Obviously, they're reading some new book on the elder team. But we also noticed this, that for some people, they just missed it. It wasn't that they didn't appreciate it. It just flew by. It just went by them. And it was almost like God was saying to us as an elder team, how many times do I want to bless you? And it just goes by. How many times am I speaking a word of blessing to you and you're just letting it go by? You're moving so fast. You're doing so many things. You're just cruising on in life and I'm trying to bless you. And I'm giving blessings to you and you're walking right by them. We studied in the curriculum that A good Jewish person in ancient times would give 18 different blessings to God during the day. Lord, bless you for my family. Lord, bless you for the fruit of the land. Lord, bless you for my work today that I have to do. Lord, bless you. They would give these benedictions or blessings to God so they would remember the goodness of God. And they'd let that goodness of God not only flow to them, but through them. The blessing that's in front of you right now It's on the paper there. It's pretty simple. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. It's all about God looking at us, being in God's presence, receiving a blessing from God. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit weird here for just a moment. And you, you knew this was coming. I always ask you to do weird stuff. So why do you come back if you don't want to be asked to do weird things? And I know some of you are here by yourself this morning, but I still want you to muster up a little courage and turn to a person next to you who may be by themselves or with somebody else. But I want each person to be able to say this. Just look in the eyes of the other person and just say the first part of the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. I want you to do that, and then we're going to talk about it for a moment. Just go ahead and do that right now. Turn to the person next to you and give that blessing. Okay, how did it feel? Just go ahead and shout some stuff out loud. (laughs) Nothing. You guys got nothing this morning. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
How did it feel to do that? Felt nice? Felt good? Yeah, felt healthy. Yeah. How about someone else? Genuine? Blessed. Felt blessed. Yeah. Anybody feel a little awkward because you didn't really know that person? (laughs) Did anybody get, like, proposed to during that? (laughs) It's a good time. I've been waiting to tell you this. I want to bless you with my life. Yes, a blessing has all these different parts to it, doesn't it? It feels good and healthy. It feels right. It feels like a blessing. It may feel a little awkward because I haven't done that or received that before. I don't know what to do with that or I didn't grow up with that. But in God's family, the Father says it's good to bless. And it's good to walk in a blessing because blessings help us thrive when we feel like we're held under the waters of life and we don't know when we're going to get through this. Amen? But when we receive a blessing from God and give it to others, that's the goodness of God. And the goodness of God during this Lenten season is a practice of learning how to pray for the sake of others. I talked to you early about the prayer walls. And uh, one of the things I look forward to in the prayer walls, and I got to do this late on Friday because we did this exercise early on Friday where we put a name up there, a first name, or a prayer request. And our central staff team, we took about 10 minutes, listened to a song, did that the first thing at central staff team, and we did it using both of them to get them started. But I was able to come in later in the day when nobody else was around and just pray by name. People I don't know. It doesn't matter just lift up their name before the Lord. Lord, help them surrender to you. Help them surrender to you during this Lenten season. To read different people's needs. Lord, bless this person. Help them. They have a physical need. Bless them in that time. Heal them. Touch them. Do your work in them. That's the goodness of prayer. That's the joy of prayer. That's the goodness of praying for the sake of others. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning to begin to add to this list. During the Lenten season, we'll be coming up and adding. You can come up before or after any service, pick up a Sharpie, add a name. I would say just add their first name because if they come up and their second name's up there, they might wonder about that. Don't get too descriptive about the prayer request either. Don't make it too long. Just make it poignant and get it up there so we know what to pray for. But some of you this morning, you need to. You need to rise to your feet during this next instrumental song. You need to, for the sake of others and sake of your own soul, bring a name and write it there. You need to come up and write one request. And it will help you walk the path of surrender. And it will help you receive and give the blessing of God this morning as you do so. During this next instrumental song, just feel free to come up. The Sharpies are there. Write the first name. Write the request. Pray for a moment while you're doing that, and then just find your seat. Let's start our prayer wall for the sake of others this morning, right now, in this quiet time.
during these next few songs, if you want to just keep coming to the prayer wall, you can. If you want to sit and sing, just respond and worship this morning. If during that time you want to fill out your response card with a prayer request or something God spoke to you, go ahead and do that. But take this time during this next time just to have some time with God. And you can keep approaching the prayer wall and writing up your requests and names if you want during this time of worship as we get ready to close out the service.